My name is Walter Alexander. I'm one of the pastors of Adult Ministries here at Lake Avenue Church. And it's my privilege today to bring us the Word of God. But we're going to read some scripture today, so would you please stand with me as we read the Word of God. Our first scripture is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 30. And it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Our second reading is from Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 to 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. And our final reading is from the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Friends, first of all, let me say that it is just an awesome privilege to be before you today. It is not a privilege I take lightly. And I really want to thank Pastor Greg for his confidence and his trust and his mentorship. Earlier this week, uh, we had the Global Leadership Summit here at Lake. And I've been thinking a lot about leadership lately. And I've come to think of Pastor Greg's leadership as a generous leadership. Because he really gets us younger pastors and less experienced ones so to participate in his leadership. And for that, I am truly grateful. The second thing I want to say is Pastor Steve Morgan um, will be helping to take over from Pastor John Seacrest, who's gone off to plant a church in Florida. He's going to be our interim associate of adult ministries. And I'm just, going to be, I'm just so excited to be able to work with him. Um, we share some many things in common. And his years of experience and wisdom, I know, are going to stand us all in good stead uh, for the many months to come. Now, some of you know that, who know me would know that I come from the little island state of Singapore. And Singapore, right now, today, is celebrating its 50th anniversary as a nation. They call it a, a jubilee. And so there's a big celebration going on. Um, and I like to kind of uh, talk when I preach, uh, uh, give examples of my time growing up in Singapore. And uh, somebody who heard that I was going to preach today said, Well, Pastor Walter, are you going to talk about Singapore food again? And, and, I, and I told him, nah, I'm not going to talk about that. What I am going to do is just show you Singapore food up there um, and maybe talk a little bit about it. But that, as you see that slide up there, that's um, Singapore chili crab. And if any of you have actually been to Singapore, you know exactly what's going to be coming next. Because chili crab on this side of heaven is just basically the most heavenly meal that you could ever have in this entire world. I mean, the sauce is rich, it is uh, both salty and sweet with a perfect balance of heat mixed in, and that crab is just, when it's done right, it's just, it melts in your mouth, and as that crab is going down your throat, you are thanking God that you are alive. This was the reason why crab was created, Lord. What has this got to do with my message today? Well, today I'm going to be preaching about how to deal with envy. And so I thought very considerately to paint a picture for you so that you could actually experience envy before I got started. 
what I really want to talk about, though, is uh, an example of a story of my time growing up in Singapore. When I was a young student, I had the opportunity to talk and interview Singapore's richest man. Today, if you look in Forbes magazine, um, you'll know who it is I'm talking about. His name is Robert Ng, and he has a brother, Philip Ng, and together they are the richest people in Singapore. Um, we uh, went to Hong Kong, a group of uh, students, young students, impressionable students, and we were tasked to ask him the question about entrepreneurship. What is it that makes him or that drives him as an entrepreneur, as a businessman? And we were supposed to kind of share his insights and share them with the rest of the students uh, in Singapore. And so I remember very vividly going to his office, and his office was bigger than my living room, with many um, just precious and valuable things in it. I remember being very nervous as we sat before him about to ask that question, thinking that perhaps one, soon he would stand up and point at us and say, You're fired! Sound like somebody that we know? Because he was a multi-billionaire, successful in many uh, business things, uh, owning a company that owned real estate, at one point uh, owning at least 25% of all the real estate in Singapore. So we finally got, uh, held up, got the courage to ask him this question. And so we asked him, what is it that drives you, Mr. Ng? And I'll never forget his response as he looked to us and he said, greed. It's greed because greed is good. I wonder if some of you might remember that movie that was made by Oliver Stone in the 19, uh, late 1980s called Wall Street. And there was a character in that movie called Gordon Gecko that uh, Michael Douglas played. Gordon Gecko is uh, one of the most memorable villains of um, all time in Hollywood, apparently. And he had a speech in that. You know, he, he lied, he stole, he cheated people out of their money. But he had a speech, you know, that he was making to a corporation. And in that speech, he basically said that he thought that greed was good. That greed in, it, in all of its forms mocked the upward surge of mankind. And then he turned to them and said that, mark my words, greed will save that malfunctioning corporation that we called the USA. Is that really true? Is that really right, friends? Is that what we believe as believers? I can tell you that the answer is no. That greed is the answer to many ills and to exploitation that is going around the world. But if you were to trace back greed to where it started, you will probably find the sin of envy. You know, today we are bombarded by advertising and the media every day with thoughts to stir up discontentment with what we have. It tries, the media is trying to convince us that if you get what it is trying to sell you, it will make you a better version of yourself. Better looking, perhaps. More successful than what you are. Maybe you can run faster. Maybe you can get that girl that you always wanted. That's what advertising is trying to get you to do. To be, but discontentment basically leads to envy. Advertising is there to convince you to desire something that you actually don't really need in, in order that you actually spend more money. The fact is that if you listen, really listen to what they're telling you about life, you will realize that all they're trying to get you to do is to not be content with what you have. Basically to breed envy and covetousness in us so that we will spend more and buy more. But when we indulge in this, what we're really doing is turning our focus away from God 
and we're indulging in the sin of envy and greed. Now, so what is envy? And I would define envy as a feeling of begrudging that emerges in the face of good fortune, of the good fortune of others relative to some good that is of equal interest to us. In other words, envy has an element of desire in it. Somebody has experienced an advantage or a blessing, a benefit in life, and you want that to happen to you. Now, left on its own, that's not a bad thing. But the other element that makes envy bad is that this desire to want what that person has is tinged with resentment, that it's going well for the other person, but it's not going well for you. And what are you going to do about it? That's what makes envy bad. That's what turns envy into covetousness and greed. Now, I want to make a distinction here, friends, because jealousy and envy are really two different things. Jealousy is defined as a state of mind that results from the suspicion or fear of rivalry. In other words, while envy is distress from another person's success and a desire to gain what you do not possess, jealousy results from a desire to defend what you already possess. For example, one's family, one's property, or one's reputation. So, friends, can you see how it is that when the Bible says that God is a jealous God, that is actually a very good thing. Because, you see, he sees us as his treasured possession. And he does not want, he does not want anything to stand in the way of us and him. He does not want us to be stolen away from him. And so he has jealousy over his people. That's a very good thing. You know, God is a God of deep emotion. And when he has that jealousy, it tells us about how much he loves us. Just as we would have jealousy over our spouse if, every, if anybody were to try to take my spouse away from me, your spouse away from you. So jealousy can be a good thing, but friends, in Scripture, when envy is talked about, it is always a bad thing. Now, I could prattle on and on about you know, all definitions of these different words, but you know, what I'd rather do is to show you a clip right now, a video clip that will kind of explain what envy is and a little bit about what envy does to relationships. So let's take a look at the screen right now as Jack Black and Ben Stiller tell us a little bit about envy. Why didn't you tell me? I should have told you. That's the thing. I just, should have just told you, but I don't know what happened. I, 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 I felt guilty or, or, or something, I was, and I was just so wrapped up in the envy that I felt for everything you had. I mean, it's true what they say. It's like a little, little green monster that comes out, and, and, and it just poisoned my head. I mean, and by the way, you did nothing wrong. I mean, you did nothing wrong. You just you, you followed your dream. You did what you wanted to do. And I was always saying, don't do it, don't do it. And you did it, and it worked. I mean, it worked. Look, you built a house, right? That's all you did. You built a house. I mean, it's a big house. I mean, it's a really big house. It's a, it's a large house. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's gigantic, Nick. It's the White House. You built the White House across the street, and, and we're in the shadow of it. I mean, literally, every day, 4 o'clock, we're in the shadow of it. You know, and that's not your fault. I mean, you wanted to be friends still, and you didn't want to move, and I love that. I mean, it's such a, you know, it's coming from such a good place, but it was just, I mean, it really was getting to me, because every day I'd have to look at you and see you with all of this stuff, you know, buy the yellow Lamborghini that goes 500 miles an hour. Have a bowling alley next to your bedroom. If I could do it, I would have done it. Everybody should have a merry-go-round. Of course you should have a merry-go-round. Jealousy every day, and it was just chewing me up. I mean, your kid's playing the concert piano, my kid's banging trash cans. And I don't think that has anything to do with the money. I think that's just his musical ability, but that's a whole other thing. And you just gave to us, Nick. I mean, you gave, and you gave, and you're so generous. And, 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 and what am I going to give you? 
I gave you tube socks for Christmas last year. That's not going to work. I like the socks. You gave us so much the coffee machine. It's a beautiful, giant, rocket ship-sized coffee machine. And Debbie loved the coffee. I'll tell you something. I never tasted it. I've been wanting to tell you that for a long time. I mean, it's that bad. I can't even tell you I haven't tried the coffee. Like, it's going to make me feel better about myself that I won't drink your coffee. And you gave our kids flan. And then, all of a sudden, my son's going, Daddy, Daddy, where's the flan? I want the flan. And I just want to... It felt like a dagger in my heart, the flan, every time you'd request flan. And, and it just made me feel little. I felt like a little man who didn't like flan. That's what I felt. Do you ever feel like that? Just a little man that didn't like flan. But friends, you know, I think that we've all felt these twinges of envy. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, let's be honest with ourselves. All of us have felt envy at one point of time or another. And that's how insidious a sin envy really is. You want to, see, you want to talk about vulnerability? Pastors deal with this type of sin all the time. I can tell you that I have. Because why? Because pastoring can sometimes be a very competitive process. And competition is okay. But when you start to resent a person because they have success, because they have something that you have, even if it's a talent or spiritual ability, that's still envy. And envy can destroy you. The poignant part about that video, for example, was when Ben Siller was saying to Jack Black, you gave me this amazing coffee machine. I've never tasted it. I just, I can't bring myself to even taste the coffee. Even when a person is, is, that you are envying does something nice for you, the envy can happen to come in so badly that you're not even able to accept the goodness of that person. And that's what envy does to a person and does to a relationship. There was a famous author that said, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you guys found that funny because 9 a.m. service did not. I'm not sure why. <laughs> so you guys are really listening. I appreciate that. He said envy is no fun at all. And I think he hit it right when he said that envy is so subtle and the most insidious of the seven deadly sins that the reason why we don't want to talk about it when we have it, when we don't want to own up to it, is because to admit it, it will somehow show that we're probably ungenerous, we're mean-spirited, and small-hearted. And that's how envy works. It gets you to want to hide it deep down inside. And deep down inside is where it begins to eat you up. You know, the ancient people recognized these uh, destructive properties of envy. In scripture, it says that envy rots the bones. And... Um, you know, they used to think about envy as being related to a color. In fact, we, we do that today too. Have you ever heard the expression green with envy? Do you know how that came about? It's because ancient people associated the color green with sickness. So if you were sick, you turned green. Well, because envy makes you feel sick inside, they said that you were green with envy. The other thing is that they also recognize that envy can be destructive not just to the person who is envying, but to the person who is being envied. In other words, to people all around a person with envy. Um, the ancient culture thought about envy as, having, as someone having the evil eye. Have you heard of that expression too? The evil eye. Why is that the case? They actually thought that people who had the evil eye could cast a spell or injure someone just by looking at them. That's the evil eye. So they called it evil. And they spent a lot of time coming up with different ways to protect themselves against the evil eye. One of those ways to, was to actually craft protective amulets. 
And people w- would wear these big honking amulets, right? Because so that if someone had the evil eye and looked at you, they would look at the amulet first. They wouldn't look at the person. And so you would somehow be able to avoid uh, the injury that the evil eye would cause. And can you see here, friends, that they, the reason why they actually feared envy as a sin to a great extent. They called it the most grievous of all evils. Why? Because I think that they knew that envy does not just cause damage to the person who has envy, but to people all around him or her as well. Just look at Scripture, and we will see why that is the case. If we take a journey through Scripture, I was surprised at how much envy rears its ugly head and wreaks destruction on, on, on everybody all around. First of all, we see envy It was the very sin that actually brought the devil down. He turned... Envy turns Satan into Satan. Look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. And in that last verse right there, it says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. You know, what it basically shows us is that Satan wanted to be like God. He envied God's position, and so he rebelled against God with a third of the angels, and God brought him down. What about the next time we see envy? If you think Adam and Eve, you're correct. Guess what the serpent tells Eve? He says, you can be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. Don't you want to be like God? So the fall itself was also a result of envy. Now I know what you might be thinking. Well, friends, I know it's often said that pride was the original sin. You know, and that pride led to the fall. And I actually do agree with that. But the point that I'm trying to make here, friends, is the fact that when you have envy you have all kinds of other sins that that are going to be bred as well, all in the same area. In this sort of incestuous relationship, pride, envy, covetousness, and greed, even lust, are all part of the same types of sin. They all go back to thinking that it would be better if I was God. I want you to just look at James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, which actually illustrates this point. In the book of James, he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And you see also in the letter to the Galatians, Paul talks about this, and he lists envy as one of those sins that will really keep you out of heaven. And in verse 21, it says, And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, he warns us. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it should come as no surprise that when you find things like pride, there you will find envy also and all kinds of other wickedness and evils as well. It's only a matter of time when that will happen. So let's go back to scripture. And we talked about Adam and Eve. What about their offspring? Guess what? We see envy there as well between Cain and Abel, the two brothers. Right? You see, Cain envied the, the blessing and favor that God gave Abel for the sacrifices that he brought. But instead of going back to God, he decides to take matters into his own hands to satisfy his envy and hatred of his own brother. And then another time we see envy in action, guess what? Jacob and Esau. Jacob envied Esau's birthright, and so he decided he was going to do something about it and decided to steal his birthright with mom's help. 
And also, between Joseph and his brothers, here's another example of envy in action. So the brothers envied Joseph because of the favor that he was getting from the father, and so they even plotted to kill him because of envy. Yet God used that situation to save the entire family, to save an entire nation. And then another really good example of where envy raises his ugly head is regrettably between the relationship of Saul and David. When you read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and this is the chapter right after David uh, killed Goliath, as they were coming back and uh, the people sang songs about the victory, you know what they said? They said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And then you start seeing Saul becoming very green. And you know, the most regrettable thing about this story, uh, friends, is that Saul never gets over his envy of David for as long as he lives. Yes, he regrets it sometimes. He kind of relents, but every time he's plotting to kill him and treats him like an enemy. And the story of Saul is one of the most pitiful stories in the Bible because it is a perfect example of how envy and jealousy can eat you alive from the inside until you have become just a shell of a person. Finally, let's fast forward to Jesus' time. You would think that maybe you won't be able to find envy there. Oh, but there was envy. In fact, the Bible tells us that envy was the very sin that sent Jesus to the cross. In, in two verses in Mark um, chapter 15 and Matthew uh, chapter 27, it says that Pilate perceived that, it was the, that out of the Pharisees' envy that they wanted to crucify him. And so it was because of envy as well that Jesus went to the cross. So you see from the Bible itself, friends, that envy is a destructive force. Who can tame it? You know, and, and, and that envy has a propensity to damage not just the person who is envying, but people all around that person as well. So in my study, I, I decided to look at two different types of envy. Um, that I think that we can define it. It would be helpful to divide it into two different types. Type 1 and type 2 envy. Kind of like diabetes. Because you know, if you have that too, that's not a healthy situation. So type 1 envy is envy that's directed towards a brother and a sister. Type 2 envy is envy that is directed towards sinners. But I want to say that both types of envy are bad. Because both types of envy really boil down to idolatry. Idolatry. Because both types of envy, friends, are saying that if I were God, I would do things differently. It boils down to selfish ambition. You've taken your focus away from God and you're looking to yourself. That's exactly what the serpent used to tempt Adam and Eve with self-exaltation in mind. You will be like God. And so they fell to the temptation. But if you think about it, the feeling of envy is also based on the conception of limited good. See, I envy my brother because I believe that he has, that what he has should be mine. He has it. So I can't have it. And I resent that. So then it leads to me wanting to even the score. If it's the last thing I ever do. And what this presupposes is a whole avenue of wrong thinking and wrong theology. Because in essence, what we're doing is we're buying into this wrong thinking that things, that possessions, can give us true significance. You know, as human beings, we all crave true significance. But somewhere along the line, we begin to think that acquiring things will help us feel more significant and valued. 
And this is where envy so quickly turns into covetousness and greed. Because when we fall into the trap of thinking that acquiring stuff will fulfill us, we begin to realize that once we actually have that stuff, that that thing doesn't fulfill us at all. We're on to the next thing, the next thing that's bigger or that's better or younger or more expensive. And we think that that's going to fulfill us, but it is a never-ending story. Things will never fulfill us. But you and I, we should know where our true value and significance should come from, shouldn't we? And that is from God. But even in the church, friends, we fall into this type one envy. We begin to envy each other's gifts and talents, and we wonder why God never gave us those things. We look at one another, those who perhaps have different spiritual gifts, and we say, if only I had that, And sometimes our intentions are very good. We want those gifts so that we can honor God more or bring Him more glory. But the fact is that even if our intentions are good, we are actually falling into the same trap of putting ourselves in the position of God and saying, if I were God, I would give that gift to me. Taken to its logical conclusion, type 1 envy is so bad because it destroys godly relationships even within the church. And this story of, between Saul and David, friends, how di- I always think, how different would it be if Saul had taken David under his wing and mentored him and taught him to be a good king? Now, Saul wasn't a very good king. And he, by that time, he had already lost his anointing from God. But I can't help to wonder if, perhaps if he had tried his best before God, that there would be some grace from God to help him And that his final destiny that we see in the Bible, a horrible death, that that destiny would have been at least changed to something else. But this this sin of envy creeps into the church and it can be so destructive. But the church is where love should be. The church is where unity would be. And yet even in the New Testament church, we see the apostles spending so much time addressing strife and disunity and envy even in that church. Should it surprise us that it it raises its ugly head sometimes here as well in our community? But I want to go back to what God sees the church as to be, and that is a place of unity and love. We're supposed to be the example to the world. Remember that before Jesus went to the cross, he said he prayed that we would be one, that we would be one, that we'd be united. And, 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 and Jesus said that, that the world would know that we are his disciples by the love that we have towards one another. Isn't that right? And you know what the definition of love is? Look, up, look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, and the third thing that it says is, it does not envy. Friends, this is what is going to keep us from fulfilling our calling of God in the church. We must deal with envy if we were to fulfill that calling. I want to talk about type 2 envy as well, and that's envy that's directed towards sinners. You and I know this, and we, we have met people, perhaps it might be a, a colleague or a boss, a friend, somebody from school perhaps, and everything seems to be going so great for them. They have a great job, they have a great spouse, they have great children, they have a great family, uh, they have a great car. Man, everything, they even go on great vacations. Cash doesn't seem to be a problem for them. You know, health doesn't seem to be a problem for them. And then you realize they're not walking with the Lord at all. In fact, they're sinners and they seem to be even flaunting it in your face and in God's face. 
You know, they're cheating on their spouse, they're, treating, they're cheating in their work, and they're cheating on their taxes. And these are things that begin to get at us and eat at us. They're sinners. I'm so glad that the scriptures actually talks about a person who actually went through this same thing. And he actually teaches us as well how to deal with it. And I'm, of course, referring to Asaph in Psalm 73. And in Psalm 73, it says, it's a long psalm, but I think it will be productive for us to read through it briefly. And what it says there is, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong, and they are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And then he continues to say, that they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. And then he goes on to say, till I enter the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream. When one awakes, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So what is Asaph saying here? He's telling us that if we were to simply look at the wealth of the wicked and focus on that, we're focusing on the wrong thing. You see, because we're not God, and we don't see the end of the story, we're not called to judge them at all, but to trust in the Lord. He will bring about justice in the end. And at the end of the day, the wicked are actually God's responsibility. And what's ours? To simply focus on God and to walk in His presence daily. That's our responsibility. So friends, how do we deal with envy? And here I think that I've come up with five ways that I think might be helpful for us to deal with envy. And it comes from Scripture. So the first one is this. First of all, we should be going to God and going to man. What does that mean? It means just repenting of our sin of envy. Go to God first and repent of that sin. Confess it. But then I am also saying that you need to think about going to someone else and confessing that sin. Because in James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Friends, just even last week, Pastor Greg was saying about sin. That the worst thing that you can do if you have a sin in your life is to keep it to yourself. Envy is the kind of sin that wants to stay hidden. It does not want you to talk about it. But when you talk about it, it loses its power over you, its grip over you. When you confess it to a brother or a sister, they can help you deal with any sin. It can help you to deal with envy as well. Don't let it eat you up inside. You need relationships in your life that will help you in your struggles. And you can find that in brothers and sisters. But it's going to take courage. But if you do it, you will find that there is a blessing attached to it. The second thing that I want to say is that um, is to get into God's sanctuary. Get into God's sanctuary. That will help you to deal with envy. It's right there in Psalm 73 when Asaph said that he entered the sanctuary of God and then he realized something, that the wicked are God's responsibility. So what is getting into his sanctuary? Well, it could be your quiet time, your personal quiet time. It could be coming to church. 
It could be coming to your small group. Friends, do you have these things? Because if you don't, you need it to have them. You need to cultivate these things because that allows you to get into God's sanctuary and you will find that your perspective will shift away from focusing on the person that you're envying to focusing on God. You need to have these things. And remember that you will find rest when you do that. Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then the third thing that you need to do to deal with envy is simply to trust God. Especially with those that you think are wicked people or who are getting away with it, you need to trust God. And remember that He is in control. Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to your purpose. You know, Joseph, when he was speaking to his brothers, after they had mistreated him and they had tried to kill him, he said this, As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. I don't know what you're going through today, friends. What kind of low situation that you might be in? What kind of health situations that you might be in? Something oppressive? But remember that your greatest trial can be God's opportunity to give you the greatest faith. Don't be discouraged by the situations that you see around with you, but trust God that He can turn things that might seem like curses into blessings for you and those around you. And then the fourth thing I would say that will help to deal with envy is to cultivate the generous eye. The generous eye. Now what is that? You know that envy is the evil eye. So in distinction to that, the generous eye is completely opposite to the evil eye. Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now that word healthy actually means generous. And that word unhealthy actually means stingy. So if, if I were to paraphrase it, I would say that what Jesus is saying is that if you, what Jesus is saying is that you will become what you practice. So if you practice the evil eye, guess what? It will make you evil or stingy. But if you practice a generous eye, you're looking around to look for opportunities in which to be generous and to give to others, then you will become a look a lot like God, who is light. And God gives. He gave His only begotten Son to us that if we believe in Him, we will have eternal life. And He said it is better to give to receive. Are you practicing these things, friends? Are you practicing generosity in your life? Because if you are not, and, and if God is moving in your heart, we want to help you find that. In adult ministries, what I do all the time is connecting people to serving opportunities. Connecting people to a place where they can find godly community, like a small group. or It's right under, there under the Connect banner. If you don't have that, friends, I want to encourage you to find that type of community. Find that kind of serving opportunity. Because when you are around people who are needy all the time, it's going to be pretty hard to envy them. If you're around people who need things so, and, and need help so much, you're going to turn your focus away from yourself and focus on others. And that is a sure cure, a sure antidote to the problem of envy. And finally, friends, the last thing I would say that will help us to deal with envy is if you have God, to remember that if you have God, you really have everything that you need. We just sang this morning, God is more than enough. He has everything. He rules the earth. First of all, He made you and He called you into His kingdom. So He loves you. Remember that God loves you and that nothing can separate you from His love. 
But if you're going through a tough time, I know that at times our feelings and our emotions can be in turmoil. But then we come into his presence. We come into his sanctuary. And we are encouraged by one another. We see our brother and our sister. We hear people like Brittany. And if you know anything about her story, it takes courage for her to be up here and to sing the way that she does. But you look at the faces of those who are worshipping and you know that some of them have more needs than you. And you turn your eyes to God and worship too. Your burden will become lifted. And you will be reminded about who God is. He is loving and He is all that we need. And Christians all over the world, including those who are being persecuted now in different parts of the world, you know, they have learned the secret to this. They can just trust in God, even though they may be going through the fire. And they're able to say, just like Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, in that scripture that we read earlier, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. You can depend on Him, and, you, and He will strengthen you. Because what Paul is saying is that whatever place God has called me to be in, whatever state I am in, whether it is poor or rich, healthy or sick, I have learned to be content with Him because His will is always best for me. And friends, His will is always in our best interests. You are a child of the Most High God. Nothing can separate you from Him. You know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord and everything that is in it. He made the heavens and the earth. And there is there's anything that God has, it is yours if you walk with Him in fear and obedience. Just try to do His will and He will meet you at your point of need. And so here in conclusion, friends, let's conclude with what Paul says to us in Romans chapter 8 and that we also sang earlier this morning. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So walk with him, friends. Test God at his word, and he will come through for you. Some of you might be wondering, so what happened to Robert Ng? What happened to his family? What happened to the Gordon Gecko of Southeast Asia? And as you know, you, it's predictably you probably knew. Um, I lost contact with him, uh, as most billionaires do with uh, young students. <laughs> but I was very, um, I was, I was very interested and curious as to what happened to Robert and Philip Ng. And unbeknownst to me, I discovered a lot of information about them online. Well, Philip Ng, Robert's brother, came to Christ not long ago. And he, became, and he began to pray for his family. He began to pray for the salvation of his family. And God gave him an opportunity. Robert and Philip's father became deathly ill and was hospitalized. In fact, he was on the ventilator and the doctors declared that he would be brain dead. But then in the hospital, in this place of lack of hope, pastors started coming and visiting him and praying for him and reading scripture over him. One day led to another. The ventilator was taken off and he started to breathe again. One of the pastors asked him, one of the pastors asked him, would you like to receive Jesus as your savior? And he said, yes, I would. He received Jesus as a savior. That's not the end of the story. So Philip Ng and, and his father now, and his, now Philip and Robert's mother comes into the picture. And she sees the grace of God that is flowing in that place. And she begins to see that the church has come to that hospital room. And I remember what Philip would say. He would say that 
um, that they had no time for church. He had no time for church in his life. But in his last days and last hours, the church had time for him. He had no time for God in his life, but in those last days and hours, God had time for him. And Robert and Philip's mother was saved. Even after 60 years of being a devotee of the goddess of mercy, that's an Asian Eastern religion, she gave her life to Jesus. And then as I'm reading this testimony, I'm thinking, what happened to Robert? What happened to Robert? Robert came into that same hospital room and he could feel that the grace of God was moving so mightily in that place. Not only did he give his life to Jesus and be saved, but he was baptized in that same hospital room and gave his life to Jesus. And I can tell you that from a source that is close to them, they are both continuing to walk in God's ways and to endeavor to walk closely with him. They lead now a multi-billion dollar company, corporation in Singapore, that every time they meet has scripture around the times that they meet. They even have a full-time chaplain on staff to help them to pray through decisions that they have to make in this company. Who does that, friends? And what does this story tell us? When you see somebody who is greedy and wicked, you don't know the end of the story. Do not curse them, but bless them. Jesus said, pray for our enemies. Bless and do not curse. Because you don't know the end of the story. What if dealing with them with justice means... Three nails, the Son of God, and a cross. We don't know the end of the story. We just need to trust God. I don't know who needs this message today, but I know that there is somebody here who is praying for someone to come to know Jesus. You don't know the end of the story. Continue praying. You might, it might seem like nothing is happening. It might seem like the seeds that you have planted are not growing root, but keep on watering those seeds. Keep on hoping and praying. Do not bless, do not curse, but pray for them. Bless them and watch to see what God is going to do in their lives. Friends, where sin abounds, grace even more abounds. And God's grace is reaching out to those who are enslaved to the world and its ways. No one is beyond hope. And a sinner is never too far away from God for the love of Christ to penetrate the darkness of his heart and to set that captive free. So what do we say about these things? Friends, first, go to God. If, if you have a problem with sin and with envy in your life, do not keep it secret. Go to somebody and ask for prayer, especially in the sin of envy. If you want to confess it to the person that you are envying, that can be a powerful thing too. Exercise discretion. But it can be a powerful thing to confess those things because that person could actually do something to stop himself or herself from causing you to stumble. That's kind of like what happened in the clip there. He confesses his envy to his friend and, he, and the friend accepts him back. And the second thing is get into God's sanctuary. Come to the church. Get into godly community. Are you doing that? Trust him. Trust God for all of your needs because He will fulfill them. And then be generous with others. These different opportunities like going to and helping with, the, with Blair School, going and helping someone who is in need. There are many ministries here at Lake Avenue Church where you can do that. Visit somebody in prison. Visit someone in hospital. Visit somebody at home. And watch how God's grace uses you to change their perspective and to change their lives. Friends, this happens all the time. Is God calling you to serve in that way and be generous? And remember that if you have God, you have everything you need. For He is more than enough. He is the all-sufficient one. And He will meet us always at our point of need. Have faith. Trust in Him. He will not turn us down. 
For he, he is our portion and our very great reward. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, here we are at the foot of the cross again, where we remember that when you went to the cross, you nailed the sin of envy up there with you too. To those who sent you to the cross, who crucified you, you turned to the Father and you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so God, oftentimes we don't know what we're doing. And we have sin in our lives. So Father, we turn and we repent and we ask you, deal with us, Lord. Forgive us. Wash us clean. Help us to find godly relationships in our lives where we can be accountable as well. And help us to stay on that narrow, straight and narrow path to life. And Father, we help us always to remember that you are bigger than we ever can imagine. You are bigger than the earth. You are bigger than the universe. You created these things. We just have to have faith in you until the very end. And to know that, Lord, if somebody else has something that we want, to trust in you because you made everything. and You made us. You are sufficient for us. And so now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And all God's people said, Amen.